Alex Stock, Peer Marketing. Thank you for joining us today on Real Insight. Um, for the folks that are watching at home, Alex runs the business that does all the marketing for Insight Systems, our amazing marketing. Um, Alex, tell us a bit about yourself, a bit about Peer. Yeah, thank you. So, yeah, we've been working with Insight now for a number of years and it's been fantastic to, I suppose, get much more involved with the business over the last, especially over the last uh, two, three years. Mm. Um, and what's been really nice is to have the support and actual engagement, genuine engagement for Dan and Wayne. And that's just made such a difference. And we first met them back in 2017, it would be. Mm -hmm. um, and actually with uh, an event that Daryl uh, from Security was running. Daryl's also done one of these podcasts. Yes, he yeah. has. He has. And um, yeah, so uh, Daryl actually made the introduction and um, it's kind of just gone from there. Um, did a little bit of work with uh, with Dan actually whilst Wayne was on um, long service leave and yeah, sort of blossomed, ended up doing some strategic marketing planning work and then now yeah everything from like we're doing today a bit of video a bit of photography yeah for the folks that can't say um beyond the podcast studio the office is full today of videographers photographers script writers the works um so we're doing a whole bunch of content for the next 12 or so months um and you know you guys are instrumental in in a lot of that um one thing that's obvious to me is this accent this accent is not local um i'm guessing we are british yeah. And where from? So originally West London, but moved all around the UK. Um, so West London, East London, and then out into into the sticks and then ended up at university in uh, South Wales mm -hmm. uh, at Swansea, which is where I met my wife. Um, and then we moved out to Australia uh, in 2012 with uh, the business I was with at the time. Yep. Um, and it was meant to be for two years. So classic now, story. Well, nearly 12 years. Yeah. Um, a business, children, house, dog, you know, all those things that just happen in life. Mm. Um, so yeah, that was an amazing opportunity that I was given, um, by the business Candine, um, who really supported both yeah myself and ultimately Catherine to come out to Australia and, um, we, uh, Catherine was actually working for the business she started with in the UK, which is Asser Abloy. So uh, Lockwood's the sort of the big brand oh, yeah. uh, in Australia, but then yep. Yale uh, in the UK. And um, yeah, sort of her career really uh, sort of developed and blossomed there. She came over to Australia, took up a, um, a consulting and manage, uh, project management role, marketing project management role. Uh, but always really wanted to start her own business. Mm. And it was Catherine that really took that leap whilst I was earning a, you know, corporate stable salary um, to start peer marketing. So without, you know, Catherine's and I, just dedication and hard work to getting up every single morning mm. and, uh, yeah, doing the grind of getting peer marketing off the off the ground uh, nearly 10 years ago. So it would be our 10th anniversary next year. Yeah, wow. Um, so the name Peer Marketing would have been July and then we were incorporated in November. Um, so, yeah, next year's our, our 10 years, which is just, uh, yeah, phenomenal really. To think mm. well, this is our 20. Yes. Um, I've only been here for three and a bit. 
Uh, but 20 years in any business, in any country, in any field is is phenomenal. 10 years is, is probably just as important. Um, two or three years is like the benchmark for pass or fail. Um, so you've outshone that. Has it always been marketing for you? Uh, I fell into marketing. Both, you know, Catherine and I fell into marketing, I think, um, post-university, neither of us did a marketing degree. Um, I did economics and politics and Catherine did history and politics. And then, yeah, looking for jobs after university, um, Catherine ended up getting an EA role and then moved into corporate communications and ultimately marketing. And then for myself, we had a family friend who was in marketing and PR um, in agriculture mainly, ended up having a chat to her. She said, you should give it a go. I think you might like it. Ended up starting an advertising agency, um, then moving to uh, a big uh, quarrying business yep. in, in the UK, then into commercial flooring. and But all of those were either through marketing, cor- corporate communications, then ultimately sales management, back into marketing management, customer service. So always in the uh, the commercial side of business mm-hmm. um, as opposed to... Um, the yeah, whether it be the IT finance, you know, the HR side, always the the selling side of business, basically. Yep. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to break some stuff down, particularly in the realm of marketing. Now, I'm a tech guy, um, and so I'm I'm all right at selling, but that's only because I know the gear well enough. Um, so I'm not a I'm not a seasoned salesperson. But, you know, the relationship between selling and marketing is one that is imperative, particularly in the, in the modern economy. When we look at marketing, you know, the marketing landscapes change quite a lot too. And so I'm always aware of the concept of on one hand we have marketing um, and on the other hand we have branding. And I want to try and understand how you see the difference in the two, how do they relate and, and what do you do in both fields that are completely separate? Yeah. So... I, what you said about sales and marketing is completely true. It's absolutely interlinked and fundamentally they're, they're actually one in the same thing. Mm. So if you take a little bit of a step back, marketing is very simply how you take your product or service to market or combination of two for uh, insight where you're obviously putting products into installations, mm. but you're also offering a, a, a significant service that wraps around that product as well. So... I think it's really important to not conflate tactical execution with the concept of marketing a product. So mm-hmm. when you get to um, brand, brand is a part of how you market your product and your logo, your colors, uh, the fonts you use, all those kind of things are important part of brand, but it goes much deeper than that. And it's almost making sure that you uh, you you do what you say you're going to do and it doesn't matter what it is. Um, you just actually follow through on that promise because that's what determines. So a, a, a cultural thing. Yeah, a cultural thing. And I don't want to make this sound too wanky. Um, it, it's, I think we've got a good example at the moment in uh, the aviation industry in Australia where a brand has not delivered on what it promises sure. to do. And okay. that, that's the brand. It's not about, you know, the, what's on the... Uh, on the the tail fin of an aircraft, or that that's just a logo. Correct. The actual brand is the way that people experience, and it's important for everybody and for every business. And I think Insight do a wonderful job that actually walking the talk and really making sure that when they say that people are important, it's not 
just a throwaway line. It's actually understanding what that means. And, you know, looking around the office, yes, it's on screens. That's one thing. But you can actually see in the way that the individuals behave throughout the, uh, the organization as well. Mm. And that is what brand is. So, yes, it's cultural. Um and the execution of that brand through everything you do. I mean, you just look at this place and it is beautifully organized. It's very clean. It's very tidy. That's part of your brand mm. uh, proposition. And I think, you, you know, you go to you know, a builder and you look at their truck, you look at their ute and it's all beautifully organized. Then you probably know that that person's going to be a pretty organized and um, uh, well-structured individual. Mm. And it goes the same for businesses. You know, if people turn up in rip shirts, you know, they haven't cleaned their shoes, you know, all those kind of things that speaks. And it's almost like the, you know, the medium is the message. Mm. Um, and so just being really cognizant about the way that we present ourselves as individuals within an organization and the way that the organization presents itself as well. So that is, you know, building brand. The brand. Mm. Yeah, what it stands for. Where I first was exposed to the power of a brand, <clears throat> um, I worked for JB. Um, in their business and commercial um, for about five years and a great organisation to work for, you know, easily one of the most recognisable brands in the country. Um, But there was a director of marketing at the time, Scott Brown was his name, Um, and this guy was like marketing incarnate, you know, as the sort of guy who just thinks consistently about the brand and thinks consistently about, you know, what the interpretation of that brand is like. And it solidified for me the relationship between, um, like we were saying, brand and the importance of where brand lies. And a lot of that is actually the internals of the business um, where the marketing part becomes a bit more of the external. Um, The point that you made before about brand being about the people, there's also something else that's really exciting that's going on with the modern messaging economy, particularly social media, um, and that's the emergence of the personal brand. So personal brands have been around forever, but but really only if you're a big, you know, yeah. a big celebrity or or a big sports um, player or something like that. But now anyone can can create a personal brand. What I'm really keen to know is how should businesses be leveraging the personal brands of their employees? But then what are the risks and the pitfalls in in leveraging those social networks as well? I think it's really interesting. You look at social media. I mean, we'd always say like social media could be part of the story but it's not the answer to everything and it's actually thinking about the different platforms where individuals and businesses perform better or worse or there's not too much distinction between the two so if you look at the meta platforms especially so instagram and facebook we don't see a big difference between how a person and a uh, a business performs in terms of engagement if the content's good the content's good it gets mm. good engagement um and it can help build that brand. So we think about that, those um, platforms, certainly from an organic perspective, where you're not paying to push the content to anybody, that's a a brand awareness play, really, Mm. in that you're trying to um, put out good quality content that people are interested in. Um, Interestingly, on LinkedIn, businesses don't seem to perform anywhere near as well as individuals Mm. in terms of engagement, and the way that other people want to engage on that platform is much more with the individuals. So that comes to your point about how to use uh, individuals within the business to amplify an organization's message. Yep. So, and I think that's a lot of it. You know, people, it's not meant to be this cliched 
you know, rubbish again, but people buy from people. Mm. So you don't have to be best mates for, with everybody, but you've got to have a trust um, and a likability. And I think that's something that in the business world, there are obviously people that you get on well with professionally and mm. you've got good aligned um, good alignment in your business ethics, the way that you do business. Um, and by if a, if a organization's recruiting people to its ethics, its culture and its values, then you're hopefully going to attract like-minded customers, mm. like-minded suppliers. So therefore you almost, you, you get a good, I suppose, digital social community um, and we've got to be careful we don't end up in the echo chamber as well because the algorithms push like stuff to us. So always being cognizant of that as we see the stuff that we like. Yeah, um, so you think you're right all the time. Yeah. You think you're doing the right thing. Exactly, yeah. so that's definitely a danger. But I think that, you know, the individual can be a really important part of that and even just down to a very uh, tactical and executional level is when we put content out, whether it be for ourselves or for our clients on their organizational platforms, we will always encourage um, and direct the um, people within that business to comment, share, um, and because they just get so much better engagement because it's people with people mm. as opposed to organizations to people, which is a bit like, well, yeah, so-so. Yeah, particularly on LinkedIn, and I noticed the same, you know, I spend a bit of time on there um, and, you know, even looking at the uptake of, of the Insight Systems page, there's there's quite often a lot of engagement. It's quite often, but but you don't see like massive uptick in followers or things like that because I think to your point, it's it's people to people. Um, there are some businesses that still don't have a social media strategy. Like, is it is that acceptable now? Is, is there a, is there a business in the world where you would go, well, social media is not really for you, or is it a case of getting amongst it? I think getting amongst it is one, is it? And it's about spending the right amount of effort. I mean, we're not a social media agency by any stretch of the imagination. We run socials for our clients. Um, there are businesses that have built fantastic, um, yeah, f fantastic businesses and revenue streams from social media um, and often in the consumer goods space as mm -hmm. well, in the fast moving consumer goods, fashion. Um, and yeah, sort of cosmetics, that that sort of arena where it's more on the B2B side of things um, or how, uh, it's, it's a brand awareness thing. So I think there's always a place for it. I think you've got to temper expectations on what is actually going to um, result mm. from uh, effort into social media. And it's just thinking about, um, yeah, I suppose where if you've got a thousand dollars to spend where's the best place to spend that thousand dollars it's probably not in social media yeah but if you've got two thousand dollars to spend maybe some of that's best spent in social media so i think it's getting your foundations right so making sure your brand's right making sure your website's right um making sure the way you do things is right as well so you, you talk about the product a lot in marketing and making sure that product is acceptable so you've got good product market fit in that the market's actually buying what you're selling is really, really important. If you don't get all those things right first, then social media is going to do nothing. It's a, yeah. Yeah. Social media is like, um, what does, uh, I, I subscribe to the daily, um, Seth Godin blog, blog. And one of the things he was saying is, yeah, social media can be a bit like billboards in Hollywood where, yeah, sure. You can buy a billboard, but who's looking at it? Correct. So it's a nice ego, you know, it can be a bit of a vanity metric. Yep. Um, 
it can help you build your brand. But I just always caution on any single tactic being uh, a panacea of, for success. And it depends on how you want to measure that success too, right? Yeah. Like from a marketing perspective, is the is the success I see an increase in sales or do I see an increase in followers or do I see an increase in engagement, um, you know, whatever that might be. So is defining, you know, what the outcomes for the marketing campaign are, is that really important? Because I think most people would think marketing needs to lead to sales every day of the week. And, and if it doesn't lead to sales, does that mean – the marketing was wrong like the campaign was wrong i think probably taking it back a step and up a back a step and up a level is that business activity has to lead to sales otherwise you're not sustainable mm. within that business activity you've got lots of things that you need to do you need to look after your people you may need to look after your finances you need to look after your operations and you need to look after the way that you take your product to market which is marketing so that will be supporting the sales team um, if you've got a sales team it can be generating leads as well if it's uh, that kind of business that needs that and that active lead generation. Um, it can be brand position, brand building. So making sure that more people know about your brand before they're in, uh, even in the market to, mm. to purchase. Because if you've essentially primed them when they're moving through the marketing funnel from brand awareness to consideration to purchase then you're more likely to get a successful purchase because they know about you earlier on mm. rather than being in the bun fight for um, a sale at the bottom of the uh, the bottom of the marketing funnel, the point of conversion, basically. Yeah. One of the things that happened to me the other day that was really interesting is, you know, I've, I've sort of always considered myself to be very aware of marketing and then hence like not as susceptible to it. Like just from a young age, we're like, I get the concept of advertising. And so I spent so many years like listening to ads and going, who would like listen to that ad and then go, yeah, I'm going to call this guy and I'm going to grab that service. Like let's use the example of it being on the radio. Um, until the other day, like I, I have an investment property and I needed to get a depreciation schedule put together for it. And it's just in the back of my mind, I need to organize a depreciation schedule. And then an ad comes on the radio for blah, 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 depreciation specialists, you know, and I'm thinking this is that example where I would always be listening to an ad like this and thinking who would want to get a depreciation schedule from a vendor that they saw on Triple M, you know, drive time in the morning? Well, me. Um, so there was a penny drop moment for me where I think, and the point that you made about being primed, you know, my mind was primed knowing that I need this service. So naturally, one of the first times I hear about a service provider offering that, I'm going to go, oh, I'll go in that direction. Um, and he, what, what's interesting there is that I'm, I'm hoping you followed some additional due diligence steps is, you know, you then go onto Google and type in whoever it was, and then you see their ratings. Yeah. And you have a quick look through, the, you know, the, the, the latest, few latest rating, ratings, you know, maybe they, you know, got 4.7, 4.8, uh, whatever, 150 reviews, looks good. Then you jump on their website, make sure their website looks vaguely sensible. Mm. And then you jump on the contact us page. Yeah. And then when you've contacted them, as long as that experience of, you know, you get an email back that says, yeah, thanks for getting in touch. Um, will be, you know, somebody will call you or email you within 24 hours. So you're actually going through that process. Yeah. Um, and yes, the radio ad made you aware of them and maybe put you into consideration, but then your consideration was um, further solidified when you went through, you know, looked at their Google ratings, went onto their website. If you 
filled in the contact us page and actually you then jumped on somebody else that came up on the, the Google search at the same time and just did that as a, oh, they look good as well. Mm. If that original business who had the ad up never got back to you, well, yeah, what was the point of doing the ad? Yeah. And the point of that is that it's the, it's the, um, it's not just the advertising and the brand awareness that's important. It's about following that all the way through the chain so that um, all those interactions, and this is this is brand, you know, you're yeah. fulfilling a brand promise that to signing up to the service, to getting the service delivered, to the finalization of that service is in uh, is congruent with the expectation that um, uh, that you had when you listened to the radio ad. Mm. So advertising is a part of marketing. And I think this hopefully illustrates the fact that marketing is far broader than that one radio ad. It's everything else that happened after that and everything else that happened before that as well is really important. Well, that's a good point too because particularly, and I say this respectfully, all the sales guys out there, right? Sales guys are on the earth to sell. They want to sell, they want to make money. Um, and particularly businesses that look for marketing strategies to bring about selling or to bring about sales. And they think, okay, I spend $10,000 on the campaign. The leads will come, the sales guys will convert them. That's how the cycle works. You know, what you explained there was the beauty of why that normally fails is because it's about so much more, right? Like that is, that's getting the phone to ring. And then it's up to you from the minute the phone rings, right, to see the rest of that through. Well, that as well. And also the expectation of, I mean, just going to benchmark um, sort of statistics on if you're going to go and spend whatever, 10 grand and a cost per click is whatever, $2 a click or $5 a click, whether it be on the Google platforms or the Meta platforms, LinkedIn's normally much higher. You'd argue that it is a, uh, a better, more defined audience, but I'm not sure. Um, is once you've actually done the maths on it, the reality of getting a return on a $10,000 campaign on its own as a single piece of activity can be very questionable. Mm. So that's when you think about, right, brand, have I primed that? And this goes back to your question about should every piece of marketing activity end up in a sale? No. No. Because you've got to prime the market, then you've got to tell the market that you're offering them something, and then you've got to get them interested, and then you've got them getting in contact. And if conversion rates are in the single digits, which they are, they're you know, 2%, 1.5%, I think, during you know, 2020, 2021, uh, e-commerce rates were you know, 6%, 7%, 8% conversion rate because you couldn't buy by going down to the shop. Mm. They now come right back down to 2% conversion rate. So for every 100 people you get on your website, this is for e-com, yeah, you're going to get two people that buy. Um, if you look into like the Shopify data, uh, the average um, uh, sale on Shopify is at $45 or something like that. Maybe it's $50 around that, call it $50. Uh, of course, that's revenue, not margin. Mm. So actually the return on investment, by the time you spent 10 grand, what do you actually need to get in terms of uh, sales to then make yeah. that work again? Is, yep. And then you need to retain. So I think it's something like four or five individual sales on e-com that you need to then to actually get a break even on that return on investment generally mm. just using benchmark statistics and it can be much better than that it can be much worse than that but that goes into you know b2b effort as well and if you think about your marketing effort and taking a product and service to market as an investment in salespeople, in collateral in advertising in platforms um there's a huge investment that goes in 
I think it's more helpful to look at that entire investment rather than a single 10 grand campaign because a 10 grand campaign might not have delivered many leads or many sales, but it might have done a really good job in pushing the business out there mm. in a really appropriate way um, and actually building the brands. So you ended up with a brand success, brand building success rather than a lead generation success. Mm. So, yeah, it can be a bit, yeah, you, you have to learn. Well, it seems like the key then is to develop like an all-encompassing strategy, right? It's not about like one campaign a year pushing something. It's about what are we doing across all facets of of a strategy. What is a what is a sensible marketing strategy look like to the average business? Yeah, but it's, I think that's just business as a whole. So if you get your business, if you know what your business is trying to do, then you know what people you need to deliver that. Mm. If you know what people you need, you know what financial structure you need, you know what operational structure you need, and marketing is no different for that. And I think sometimes it gets, you know, oh, I need my business needs to do better. Let's do some more marketing. Yeah. Where actually, if it's not done in conjunction with getting the people piece right, getting the operational piece right. Um, getting the financial piece right because if you've got ten grand in the bank, don't go and spend ten grand on the marketing campaign. That's yeah. madness. You know, yeah. you don't. You've, you've got to be sensible and do the modelling. You know, if you're a million dollar business, if you're a hundred thousand dollar business, if you're a ten million or a hundred million, yeah, the numbers are different, but the concept should be the same mm. of of how you structure that piece of work to get your message out there. Mm. And lots of the stuff you can do is actually pretty relatively low cost and um, can be really eff- effective email can be really effective if done well yep um and that can be overlooked sometimes just you know getting a really good um meaningful and well-structured website is really important so that people can find you but then the reality is there that something like 80 percent of traffic to a website will be um confined to maybe four five six pages yeah, it's very very concentrated, and that's pretty common because yeah, people spend a minute and a half on a website, so mm. you can't uh, digest that much information. And I think if you start with an idea of what the behaviours of people are, if we know that, and then we don't go down rabbit warrens mm. worrying about the wrong thing, um, and start with the simple stuff and a plan. You think you know a, a strategic plan that should last you three, four, five years, really. Yeah. You shouldn't be, you know, swapping strategy all the time. Um, so once you know what you're trying to do, then you, yeah, build a program of marketing in the same way that you build a program of cash flow management, in the same way that you build a program of warehouse management and people management to make sure that you're, yeah, doing what's right for the business. Yep. What do you think is an acceptable time frame if someone was to jump into a, a decent market marketing strategy or, or a branding strategy, you know, how long do you really need to let that thing gestate before you can sensibly say there's some results? Well, I think a high growth business is determined by 20% growth year on year. Mm-hmm. So what I'll get to is quite a long time. Not, you know, it's not, it's not days, it's not years. It's probably something in between. And there's sort of like this idea of uh, a plateau of latent opportunity where nothing's happening, nothing's happening, nothing's happening, and all of a sudden, yeah, everything uh, um, sort of falls into place and can take off. So, months would be, in, in reality, to to devise and develop 
a well thought through marketing strategy is a couple of months work. Mm. And, and that's not meaning it's a couple of months of, um, you know, nine to five, five days a week work, but it's a time you need to stop and think and review and challenge and debate. It, 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 even if you've employed a full-time, you know, marketing manager, marketing director, whatever it might be in your business, it's going to take an amount of time for that person to really understand what's going on mm. and really develop a meaningful piece of work that allows that business to, um, uh, yeah, develop a program of marketing that's appropriate to what they're trying to achieve, to the markets they're trying to go to, their budgets, all those kind of things. Mm. So, yeah, I mean, I've, I mean, we do it ourselves. We let things run for a minimum of three months um, as an absolute minimum. Yep. Because um, if you're not doing that, you, you're just not. You're not letting it. Good grounds for measure. Yeah. Um, let's take it away from from the marketing stuff for a minute. Now, Peer is a family business um, built by a family. Where did the name Peer come from to start with? So, so uh, this was before I had anything particularly to do with uh, Peer on a day-to-day basis. And I said, you know, it's, you know it was you know, Catherine's brainchild. She wanted to develop uh, a marketing agency which could offer really high-quality corporate-level marketing to smaller businesses. And at the time, it was probably micro to small businesses. Now we're much more medium enterprise-focused, but still with the same idea that you might be a 50, 100, $150 million business, but if marketing isn't a core function of your business, actually you don't you probably don't have the work for a broad marketing team. Yep. And there's actually no need for them. So that's I suppose where we come in. It's that same idea is that you're getting corporate level marketing quality and expertise uh, that can dial into the business. And we do still work with a number of micro businesses and small businesses and get some great success with them. And um so I remember it quite clearly. We're sitting on the beach and just chatting about what we should, uh, or what Catherine should call the business. And we came up with the idea of peer and the three uh, meanings of the word peer. So one is your equal, um, it's oh, yeah. P-E-E-R. And yeah. then to peer, again, the same spelling, but to look and to, uh, yeah, to, to, to look over. And then peer, which is the spelling that we uh, landed on which is the support structure out into the sea mm. and we're based down on the Mornington Peninsula as well so that sort of tie into Perfect. the beach and sea all happened and I, I remember just sitting there and think we should call it peer marketing yeah we should and it actually had a bit of a I suppose a bit of a story behind it and a bit of uh, integrity of why we wanted to call it that and that was sort of it that was there you go on, on well for a, for a fourth definition if you're um one of the guys in my team, uh, Brendo, Brendan, he's a Kiwi. Um, and pia is the fruit that you eat. That's a P, is that a P-I-A? P, P-E-A-R. P- a pear. A pear. Yeah, okay. but, but it's pia. If you're a Kiwi, it's there pronounced pia. Yeah, so that would be the fourth way that you could use that if you needed to, the there fruit as well. Um, what's, what's it like? So it was 11 years ago that you came to Australia. Yeah, 12, 12. nearly, yeah, 11 and a half, yeah. Um, so new place to live, Catherine starting a business in the early stages of getting to Australia? Yeah, pretty early. So she did, I reckon, about 18 months, two years with Asra Abloy, um, full-time, then to part-time, then sort of that on a contract basis 
uh, started to drop off and then she started to uh, build her consultancy on, on the side of that. So, uh, so tell me the point where the business starts and the first child comes along because that's what I'm really interested in, yeah. in how that <laughs> dynamic then affects the growth of a business. Yeah, so that was definitely um, a bit of a watershed moment for the business. So our first child, 2017, so Peer would have been going for three and a bit years, mm-hmm. about three, three and a half years. Um, then first child came along. Um, and is that when you have more involvement in the business? Yeah. So I finished up with my, in in my corporate role around that time as well. And, um, I was doing a bit of consultancy on customer experience and then kind of dipping in helping. I say helping, I don't know if it was always helping, trying to help Mm. in peer, um, for that sort of year. And then we had a bit of um, staff changes in 2018. So that's when I took over as general manager. Um, and, you know, Catherine really didn't, I think that was a, you know, she was very much at the, the helm at the time and didn't get much of a mat leave with our first child. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was definitely a, um, a pressure point. Um, and it's a very young business thing. Oh, you look back in three and a half year old business that was young. But that's my point. Like most businesses will consume you entirely for the first five or six years. So so in a situation where you've got a young fledgling business that's getting a bit of traction and then, you know, children are coming along and you know, the the whole dynamic's changing, does that does that become like was there ever a time during that where you're thinking, like all right, it, it's going to stay this way or, or do we have to think differently? Like was, was the future of peer always guaranteed in entering into the family environment or is it? No, definitely not. No? I think it was never intended to be a family business. It was always meant to be Catherine's business. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was only through, you know, circumstance that I really got involved um, five, nearly six years ago now, um, but then sort of running it on a day-to-day basis for five years. Mm. And I think like, yeah, I, looking back, like I say, it, it really was three and a half years ago, fle- serious fledgling business yep. that was getting a bit of traction. So r- really trying to get to a point of critical mass has been a focus for the last five years. And, mm. you know, even sitting down, you know, you look back, um, over the last 10 years and yeah, you have some, sometimes which have been fantastic, others that have been more challenging um, and working out that dynamic of you know, working together, which we don't really do much anymore, um, which I think has been a, a good thing. Um, and really try, try, to, try to make that dis- distinction between work life and home life and having that separation, especially when things are tough at work because you don't want to then bring that, mm. uh, that pressure out of, you know, whatever, the nine to five into the, you know. But that's got to take discipline, right? Like because yeah. you you just were at home together, work is probably sometimes at home and sometimes in the office and like that's got to take some some dedicated focus to be like now it's family time. Yeah, and I think I, I don't think either of us have been like we're not particularly the kind of people that, you know, go to the park and sit on our phones doing work emails at the weekend. We've never been that kind of, you know, never, never taken that approach. But mm. it can just be as simple as I want to talk about work. Well, I don't want to talk about work and actually respecting that when you're at home, work's secondary. Yep. And if someone says, I don't want to talk about work, as much as that can you know, make you think, well, I want to talk about it. It's not the time of the place. Um, and just really respecting that. So 
I think we've got better as we've been stricter about separating when we do and don't talk about work. That's been, yeah, much, that's been helpful. Yeah. Helpful. Is Catherine technically still your boss? Uh, yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> that's good. I love because I love hearing stuff like that. It's very cool. Very cool. Um, when it comes to, you know, the, the services that you offer, there's something that always interests me is, you know, the service provider and its ability to align with the customer. Mm. Um, particularly when you're talking about marketing, I imagine that's something that's really important. You know, even um, as a provider of AV services, sometimes there's a client where you know you've reached the end, right? Like there's there's not really much more um, that you can offer, but the client still doesn't feel satisfaction or return. Um, is that something that, you know, is, is part of your ethos? It's about making sure the relationship between the two entities work? Yeah, and that starts at very initial stages. And we've got much better at that, I think, over the last two to three years about really focusing on good organisational fit. Mm-hmm. Um and I think it's always a danger when, uh, as a, when you're running your own business, you've got payroll to make. Fundamentally, mm. cash needs to come in the door, and that's it. And I think sometimes in the past we've probably made decisions, well, I say probably, in the past we have made decisions that we would not make again. And I think it's really important for us to remain true to who we're trying to work with. Mm. And that comes, yeah, I think the way that people think about business and how they do business and how they conduct themselves is the most important part of getting good alignment with our customers. And when we work with somebody who has the same kind of business ethics as us, has the same, um, yeah, I suppose, just view on the way that things should be done, it makes it much easier when we have really long-term relationships. We've got clients we work with for eight, nine years now, mm-hmm. um, and maybe even pushing 10 next year. So I think we've got some founding clients, uh, a couple that are still with us, and just, uh, just trying to um, an hour about the dates there, but some really long-standing clients. You know, Insight Systems have you know, been with us now since 2017, so six, six mm-hmm. years. I mean, not always. Firstly, it was with myself doing a bit of consulting, but... Yeah, and I look at that and think that's yeah, that's an incredible um, achievement to have that that ongoing trust. Yeah, and those employees in this those. business that haven't been here that long, a significant amount of them. Yeah, you know, so so the, the relationship extends longer than some of the people that work here. Yeah, and that's I think that's a huge amount of value that I place on that. And you know, ideally, I would love, and it just you know the world just doesn't work this way. Unfortunately, well, it just doesn't work this way, but. I, I would love us to never lose a client. And there's mm. 101 reasons why you lose a client. You know, there, there might be a breakdown in relationship for, any, for for a reason, for whatever reason. There might be you just, yeah, come to the end of line, change of personality. The, the business has grown. They decide to take on their own internals, which we actively support our clients to do that if they, if they want to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we just always, we take a step back and we think, what do we want to do? We always want to act in the best interests of our clients. Yeah. And be... Um, very, I suppose, open and transparent about that so that if a client ever thinks we're not acting in their best interest, that we want to be called out on that to have the discussion and make sure that we are because we then hold ourselves accountable and we're making sure that we are doing the right thing because activity is easy. Mm. Um, and there's a, um, 
I like to, I, I say I read a lot. I don't, I listen to a lot of audio books. Um, so do I. <laughs> uh, I just can't. Anyway, so that's, that's where I am now, which I really enjoy. And um, one, of, one of the little stories in the book I've just been reading was about the problem with uh, um, a personal chef is the chef can only cook what the chef can cook. So the danger is that with any business, you know, you, you will only ever get given what that business can do. Mm. And that's a real danger, I think, of very specialized businesses. I mean, everything has its pros and cons. Specialized businesses can do uh, one thing very, very well. But if you go to, a, you know, whatever, um, but if you go to a tax accountant and ask them if they need tax accounting, they're going to say yes. Mm. So um, I think it's really important for us that we, yeah, basically we don't just try and sell and push things that are there yeah. because we can. It's because it makes a positive difference to that business. And then that comes back to being embedded in the business, understanding what they're about, what they want to achieve. Um, and really, yeah, having that integrity over what we're what we're suggesting because it's what we do for our own business. Yeah. What are the metrics for success? Because again, in my industry, um, client comes to us and says, I want AV system that does ABC, um, needs to look like this, feel like this, and uh, and we want to use it this way. Take that information, you build the system, you put the system in, you go back with the functionality brief, tick, 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 yep, does what you want it to do, you love it, it's easy to use, great, success. Um, in marketing, it's different. Like what is it come to the end of a, you know, a, a campaign? Um, what are the metrics we put on the table and go, did this work or didn't it? Yeah, I think it's a really fair question. And some it's very easy and sometimes it's really, yeah, much more tricky. And what you've alluded to there is very much a project. So if we do a web development project, that's kind of exactly what happens is mm. spec it out, put a timeline together, deliver it, hopefully on time and budget. That's the idea. Um, and if that's done, that's a success because the client's been alongside us every step of the way. I think with um definitely where we struggle and where we like to get more in more uh information from our clients is understanding what's happening with leads coming into the business conversion of leads um and then uh the sale that comes out of that so the value of that lead so we'll ask a lot of those questions because if we don't know what they are we can't we can't say what the right activity is. Yeah. So lead generation can be one thing, but actually lead conversion can be a much more important thing. So rather than, if you've got 100 leads, rather than trying to get 200 leads, because if you're converting 30%, say, well, don't worry about getting 200 then to convert another 30%. Instead, work on your conversion rate, which is actually probably a cheaper and easier thing to do to get that up to... 40, 50, 60% conversion, mm. which might be pie in the sky. But my point is, is that often the thing that you're trying to do is not the thing that will give the best business results. Yeah. So ultimately, success is the business growing. Yep. That's ultimately what it is. Because we're a commercial, fundamentally we're a commercial service. If... Um, so why would you do a new website, for instance? Well, it's because you've got to reposition and re-communicate what you're doing in a different way to what you're doing at the moment. There's no point just doing a new website for new websites. Yeah, just for so a refresh. What, what's the point? Yeah. It's because you've actually got to change and what you've got is not delivering what you need it to do. And whether that be generate leads, whether it be um, serve information to clients, 
Um, so yeah, it's really, I think it's just really important to understand what are we trying to achieve? How are we going to grow the business um, that we're working with? And that's on the onus of that business owner and that leader of that business. We can't grow someone's business for them, yeah. but we can support them in that journey, in, in, a, in that functional journey of, uh, of growing their business. So yeah, when we put together you know, post-campaign analysis, and obviously we'll be looking at campaigns as they're going as well to make sure um, they're performing at least a benchmark, if not above. And then um, understanding how many leads have come in. Were they good quality leads? Have you converted them? Did they result in good work? Um, um, equally through brand building, you know, who's um, interacting with content, who's sharing content, who's liking content, who's commenting mm -hmm. on content, um, and not down to an individual. I don't mean that. I mean from a, a demographic a yeah. way. Uh, emails are great for that. You know, what's the open rate? Um, what's the unsubscribe rate? So you just get a, a, a feel of whether people are actually interested in what you're putting out there. Mm. Um, but again, you know, it's only ever part of the story. I mean, you guys have got a sales team. They need to be supported as well. And yep. I'd always say that I would rather, you know, in a, in a business like this, I'd rather an extra salesperson than more promotional budget. Yes. Because that's probably going to get you the better return. Correct. And it's, yeah, spend the money where it's returning. Um, email hmm. has almost done a full circle, right? So email was was late 90s, early 2000s, like the digital way to, to communicate. So get, get a big mail list, mail it out once a week, you know, hope for the best. Um, and then it became just spam central, right? Everyone filtered everything out. People didn't bother anymore. No one opens that stuff. But it feels to me like email has become a bit more relevant again um, is that something you're seeing? And, and do you still see email as being a really important tool for, for regular communication? Yeah, massive. And I think because it's relatively inexpensive to do, and you can do some pretty simple automation automations now around engagement. So simply put, you send the email out. Anybody that opens that email or visits your website or um, interacts with your socials go into an engaged list. Mm -hmm. And so those people get sent more content. Not, I don't mean spammed content, but the next time you send out an email, you only send that email to the engaged list of people. Yeah. So therefore you can up your open rates to 50, 60, 70%. I mean, there's, there's. It, so it's a more targeted audience, but a bit of greater, yeah, greater click through rate. Targeted. Yeah. Um, and then with the people that are disengaged, not the unsubscribes, unsubscribes go, they disappear. But the people who are disengaged, then you can um, send them information maybe on a quarterly basis or a half yearly basis. If they then re-engage, then they go onto the engaged list and then they get the choice of dropping off that list again by their activity. Mm. And I think, as I said, it's a very, very cost-effective way of just keeping in touch with customers and a lot of it's brand awareness yep. as well. You know, it's just, this is what we're doing. This is an interesting article. This is the way that the market's going this is a project and i think that we've just done i think not making it all about you is really really important so can you give some decent quality content out to uh your email database and yeah sure it's okay as well i think to say we've done a really cool project look at this yeah and case studies it's funny like case studies are one of those ones where particularly in the industry and we, we watch what happens on linkedin from time to time that Nine times out of 10, the highest opener of your case study is your competitor because they want to see what you're doing and what yep. you're up to and what the clients are thinking of that. So we see a lot of that. Um, but it becomes uh, 
a thing for me where, like, again, doing any one of these things has a much limited result. So an effective campaign is do Facebook, do Instagram, do the email, do like, and, and echo that message out across as many different platforms as possible. Yeah. Like, absolutely. Yeah. And, and keep echoing those well, things. Content's expensive. The bottom mm. line is content is expensive. So if you can get one piece of like anchor content, if you like, so whether that be a blog, whether it be a podcast, whether it be a video, whatever that is, and then essentially slice that up into lots of different pieces of content mm. that then you can post as short clips onto socials that you can put on YouTube as a, a long form. And bear in mind that YouTube's the most searched and indexed um, yeah. search engine that, you know, more than the Google, uh, Google search platform. YouTube is, yeah, more more content and uh, indexing is done on YouTube than on Google search. Yep. Um, so having your captions on, it scrapes all that and it starts to build, um, uh, yeah, build a really good bank of content that you can put out onto them. Mm. Um, then put that into an EDM. And bear in mind that people don't see this stuff. And I, I think sometimes we get a bit worried that we're essentially we're boring people and... I will often say that if we're getting bored of our content, that might mean that somebody has taken notice of it in the market. Yeah, okay. That, you, you need that repetition mm. um, of uh, of brand and rep repetition of message in the hope that someone's going to, yeah, twig what you're doing and what yeah. you're saying and what you stand for. Yep. But, One of the things that a lot of people can get um, excited, me, one of the people, the thing that happens to me, um, I have an ADHD brain. So for me, it's about that. Now I want to do that. Now I want to do that. Now I want to try that. Now we should be trying that. Possibly the worst way to market a business, right? Is like come up with your plan, stick to your plan, execute your plan over 12 months. Yeah. Um, but people's attention spans are waning more than they've ever done before. And now content exists in 30 second, 40 second blocks. And even that's too long. I've got to swipe away after 10 seconds. Is there any silver bullet, holy grail stuff that people can do in short form to make sure that, that they're getting their message across as effective as possible? I'd always guard against any kind of silver bullets. Yep. I think like you've just alluded to is consistency of message, consistency of activity is really important. And even, you know, we, we talk about, you know, the longevity of business and, if I think about the numerous business owners I would have spoken to over the last 10 years, it's the ones that are getting to the 20 years where success is really starting to happen, you know, and actually getting some real traction. And even over that first 10 years, you know, that you're learning. You're learning a lot about what you should and shouldn't be doing. Um, and that's yeah, a, a big learning curve. And then it's and, and part of that's the way that you promote and communicate yourself. So I think that consistency of message yeah, sure, doing little, you know, doing little sort of grabs can be helpful. But again, it's about most of this, especially if you're in the business-to-business -business world, it is people sell to people. Mm. So you know, how do you just have, or like we spoke about with the depreciation yeah. accountants, yep. how do we just prime people so that when they see you in another setting, they're like, ah, I reckon, you know, so you've actually got that familiarity mm. and that can probably be quite quick. Yeah. You know, that those sort of those little grabs. And I think I'd say there's no silver bullet, but I would be doing 
well, yeah, what's sort of one piece of anchor content regularly and then pushing that out on as many channels as possible. And networking is really good, really effective, you know, meeting people, being challenged about what you do, talking about what you do, not to sell, but to, um, uh, to get some feedback uh, as to whether what you're doing is of interest to people um, and then iterating as well. And the number of, you know, people you meet that have developed this, you know, they've de- their, their baby is beautiful but no one's buying mm. um, and actually being honest enough with yourself to say, if the product's right, you don't need that much marketing. Yeah. Um, and if the product's right, it'll take care of itself because you get a couple of people that really love it and then they tell other people about it. And then those people tell other people. And that's a very simplistic way of looking at it. But I think there's a lot of truth in that is that you get, get really nail your product, make it simple. And as yeah, we've made all these mistakes to making things too complicated, making things too broad, and if we look at ourselves honestly, you know, we deliver probably four things regularly. Mm. That's it. Yeah. That's what we deliver. You know, strategic advice, monthly management, uh, branding, and websites. That's four things we do. Yeah. And but if you look at our the services we offer, yeah, I could probably name twenty or thirty. And it's uh, you get into all these eighty twenties, all that kind of stuff. But I think it's a reality that if you can actually communicate really clearly what you do consistently, then people know what that business stands for. And that's a really good place Mm. to start. And to draw, you know, a conclusion from the stuff that you just um, explained then, no amount of marketing, no matter how good or expensive, is going to sell a crappy product, right? Like the product has to be proven, tested. It's got to have an audience. It's It's got to be good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I think, but equally on the other side of that, you've got to be careful that, what they say is that, you know, you, you can have a, an average product that's well distributed that does really, really well. And you can have an excellent product with no distribution, which does very, very poorly. Mm. So there's that. So once you get into products, um, product marketing, that distribution is route to market, simple route to market stuff. And if you think about service, professional service businesses like ourselves, our route to market isn't a supermarket. It is networking events. It is, you know, those are the, the things that we need to go to to get ourselves out there and make introductions. And um, so it's really understanding what is the route to market for your business. And if that's selling into, you know, one of the big two supermarkets, three, four maybe, then that's where you've got to go. Mm. If it's going to networking events to meet other business owners and um, people within the business sphere, that's what you've got to do. And I think sometimes we get um, we forget that actually business is just a lot of shoe leather sometimes. Mm. It's just hard work. Yep. And I think that's the thing that people are becoming more and more scared of in the modern economy is hard work. It's one of those things that I find that people just can't wrap their heads around anymore. Um, just get in and do it. Yeah. Um, that sort of brings us to the end. Alex, that's been good. I know so much more about marketing than I did before I started this podcast, so that's good. Um, for folks that want to get in touch, we're going to have links and things down in the comments, um, yeah. but what's the easiest, most effective way to reach out to yourselves and peer? Uh, I reckon website, probably peermarketing.com.au and just, uh, yeah, contact us. They do good work, peeps. We can, we can vouch for that firsthand. Um, so yeah, if you're a, um, small, medium business going through any phase of growth and you need assistance with your marketing strategy, peer your people, give Thank them a call. Thank Thanks, you. Alex. It's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll do it again. Perfect. Ta. Good on you.